Hello, and welcome to Wands and Fronds, the weekly podcast where we cover magic, herbalism, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Shannon. And this week, I'll be talking about the history of our beloved autumn solstice sabbat, Maybon. So, uh, Shannon, do you think it's Maybon like Avon, or Maybone like Cubone? I always say Maybon like Avon, so, you know... I think we should go with Mabon like Avon, because the Avon lady, I'm telling you what. Yeah, it just kind of makes me think of like the beginning of Edward Scissorhands when the iconic Diane Wiest is the mom and she's like, Avon lady. (laughs) Oh my God, the Avon lady is everything. Well, on that note, I'm also going to be covering Mabon, but Mabon the god not the holiday, the Welsh sun god. Um, And as far as herbs go, I'm going to be covering rue, because rue is one you usually see on lists associated with the Maybon holiday as well. So just a little behind the scenes for you guys, when we're doing these Sabbath episodes, that's something Nick and I do is like we look through the associations and try to like pick things out to go all together in a pretty little Sabbath episode package. Mmm, so neatly wrapped, like our wonderful line of Avon products. (laughs) Um, If you would like to subscribe to our email list to get updates on all of our Avon Maybon products. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Uh, But no. So, you guys, it is finally officially the season of the autumn equinox, and I think Everyone in the South where I live is heaving a sigh of relief as we get at least 45 minutes, sometimes more, of pleasant temperatures every day now. Oh my god, love it. I literally had to put on a cardigan to walk Willow last night because it's, I mean, we're going to have like another little like warm up, but it's finally also like the heat's breaking out here in California too. Like I put on 100% my like Hot Topic uh, Hocus Pocus hoodie like hoodie cardigan that eric got me last year it has um a black candle on it and little jack-o'-lanterns and the hood is pointed like a witch's hood and i got to wear that walking willow last night in my new spider halloween pajamas i am ready i could not be more excited for you i am also excited for everyone because this is officially the time when not even the snobbiest of the fall decorations police can stop you from putting out pumpkins and hay bales and spooky Halloween shit all over the place. So have at it. That's right. Fuck you, HOA. It's Halloween time. It's Halloween time. I also love this time because my beloved pumpkin-flavored things are back in stock, and I can confidently wear hats that hide my huge forehead again. So... Really just a winning time of year in my book. But it is also time for Maybon, like Avon, uh, the celebration of the autumn equinox and the second in a row of the autumn, the harvest bean Sabbath. So diving in, we're diving in now. So, you know, get get ready to swim, y'all. Splish splosh. Uh, splish splosh. Uh, so we can look at Lummis and Maybon together to give this Sabbath a bit of context. So, if Lamas or Lunasa, if you're saucy and Celtic-leaning, is the first harvest, which is things like grains and late summer berries, this is, and it's kind of like the kickoff to the broader harvest season. So, Maybon marks more of the 
end of this season. And it's when you would be getting things like apples and squash and some of the root veggies and like your hay bales and things that were still growing over the late summer, early fall seasons. And so it was. But this festival wasn't always known as Maybon. In fact, this naming convention comes from as recently as the 1970s, as part of the attempt to revive aspects of traditional Celtic paganism and incorporate them into the larger Wiccan and neo-pagan movements. And as you will probably decide for yourself after hearing Shannon's account of the old Welsh god Mabon, you will probably think this is a pretty spot-on replacement, but I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that uh, this is not what they were calling it. Um, they had all sorts of local names and sort of minor local spirits that they would attribute the autumn equinox to, but um, we're just kind of looking at sort of the broader Celtic autumn equinox today, um, since this is kind of more of a history-focused Maybon episode. But uh, but I, I agree. I think Maybon was a good choice of, you know, because Maybon is a Welsh god, so um, not pan, pan-Celtic, uh, sort of more of a local one, but a good local one to pick. Uh, but names aside, what we can tell you about the old ways of celebrating Maybon and where else besides our witchy circles it has ended up in modern times is a lot more concrete than what it's called. So, you know, thank goodness for that. Made my research a lot easier. So, uh, as I mentioned before, this is the second harvest festival. And thankfully for the farmers themselves, it means their work is officially done for a hot minute. So a reason in and of itself to celebrate, wouldn't you think, after working a very long, presumably hot summer, toiling away in the fields... Hashtag treat yourself. Uh, yeah, it's time to treat yourself. Uh, but so even though this is a festival, so um, we kind of do this every time one of the Celtic Wheel of the Year festivals comes up, but we're thinking uh, bonfires on hilltops. We're thinking songs and dances. We're thinking plenty of cute seasonal crafts, corn husk dollies. It wasn't all fun and games, you guys. Uh, although... Bobbing for apples would have been done at this time as well as Samhain. So if you've got the kiddos, bob for some apples. It, it is fun. It's goofy, but it's fun. Um, so it was not all fun and games, though, you guys. Like, this is a pretty serious tone to the Sabbath. So it was a time to take, like, a very sobering approach to the winter ahead and take, like, the inventory of what you've ended up with to survive the winter. And, you know, like, we do have to remember that these people had no grocery stores or, like, a feasible means to acquire fresh foods from other parts of the world. So at the end of this second harvest, everyone really had to look at their personal stores and be like, this is it. Uh, So we're celebrating if we've done the job and we've generated enough surplus and we're celebrating anyway even if we're looking at leaner times, because A, we have to remain humble as people who are intimately tied to the land to be grateful for what we have been given, and B, 
we're damn well gonna enjoy this party before we're all starving and freezing to death. So pass me another hard cider, won't you? Uh, is kind of the vibe. So it's celebration, but you know, there's there's a there's a little bit of a dark edge creeping in. It's uh, we're we're tilting towards the heavier emotions of winter. Um, so it's so it's all a bit heavy if you really think about it. Uh, but the old Celts also saw the cosmological significance of this time, because as well as being the final harvest, it's also the equinox. So as we know, the Celts were huge on equinoxes and solstices because their remaining ancient monuments are lined up with the sunrises and sunsets on these days. So we know that these like seasonal markers held pretty huge significance for them. And as we briefly mentioned in the Lunasa episode, they saw this as sort of like the diametric opposite of the spring equinox. So it's also a time like spring to like clean and restore balance in life, sort of like the balance of night and day that we get in the equinox. We are trying to balance our lives. This is also a time when debts would have been due. So if you were to take out uh, a loan, you would need, need to be repaying it at harvest time. Uh, loans, the, uh, the contracts for loans and things, traditionally in sort of like the old Celtic societies, would uh, be redeemed payable at the harvest. So time to pay up. But it's also like spring cleaning time, and it's like symbolic spring cleaning time. It's fall cleaning time. So it's kind of like you're about to have to spend the entire winter cooped up inside with your family. So it's, it's time to like uh, smooth the edges out domestically as well as in the community. Um, so people are leaning into the community culture. We're, we're kind of smoothing out our, uh, our place in society as well. Which, um, which kind of brings me to like a little rabbit traily side note. But something I did want to bring up, since we are not really focusing on ways to celebrate Maybon necessarily, uh, was that a traditional equinox celebrations in the British Isles, part of the course of events were sort of acts of charity specifically revolving around food, since this is a harvest holiday. So if someone, if another farmer in your village, say, uh, had been unfortunate and their harvest was looking uh, small and they were maybe looking at having a particularly bleak winter, the more fortunate people would sort of pitch in whatever excesses they had to ensure that even the uh, quote unquote like weak links in their community still had a fighting chance, you know. These, these holidays were really about kind of creating this sense of community, which was so important to the functioning of society. Because if these people had died over the winter, merely by the unfortunate circumstance of a bad harvest, then, you know, like, what, what can we say is the, the purpose of even having a society if it doesn't sort of protect the weaker people? Like, that's kind of the whole point, right? Um, so... The side note here uh, being that uh, in that spirit, when the sort of spiritualists in the 1970s were trying to revive the 
practice of celebrating the equinox as the Mabon Sabbath, they did make it a point at those early celebrations to do food drives as part of their revived Mabon festivities, which is something I am like 100% recommending to our listeners this year. And not to get too rabbit holy, but I did sort of see this thing recently that was like Facebook copy pasta, but seemed like very timely considering that we were doing this research for the Mabon episode. Uh, and so basically it was like uh, people living off of donated food. Uh, so sort of like, I, I had this moment though, when I was reading this where I was like, please say it louder for the people in the back, which is why I'm including it in this section where it's like, if in the spirit of the Sabbath, you want to donate some food, it was kind of like people who get donated food, get lots of peanut butter and jelly, but almost never bread. Uh, Lots of cake mix, but no frosting or eggs. Lots and lots of hamburger helper, but like never any hamburger meat. Uh, lots of rice but never any cooking oil. So please, 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 if you do want to take my advice and give some food to the less fortunate to celebrate this season, uh, don't hurt your arm trying to pat yourself on the back if you think you're helping people by cleaning out the unwanted items in your pantry. Uh, I, I mean, you know, food is food, but wouldn't you guys feel better if you did the thing correctly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's very much along the lines of like, you're not actually like sacrificing anything if your donations are in that way. You know, it's like by donating, you should be like, giving like actually giving and that doesn't mean just like passing on your trash because i mean you know do you know how disappointing it is when you're like getting your food for the week and it's like weird shit like canned olives yeah people stop stop donating like canned cocktail olives to food banks yeah that's not what hungry people need to eat no like absolutely not So anywho, but back to the history, y'all. I am putting my soapbox away. I do think it would be a great idea in the spirit of the harvest season to donate to a food bank. But uh, before I get into deep history, because I kind of went deep on this one, y'all. I wanted to like round out my bit about the sort of traditional Celtic equinoxes, which is kind of what they wanted to bring back by sort of bringing back Mabon. So uh, maybe I can give you some ideas for your celebration and your altered decor, which is a fun turn of events after that very preachy moment. No? So apples. We do love them now as part of the Mabon table, the Mabon altar. They certainly loved them then. So there is that thread that goes from those ancient Celtic uh, celebrations to today. Um. Also, like, thanking the apple trees themselves was a big thing back then. And, like, any of the trees that were giving off fruit or nuts or berries or even, like, pine trees and pine cones. You know, people used to eat pine nuts. Um, I love the idea of, like, thanking the plants for what they're giving you. Right, right, right. And so it's, like, sort of, like, where this idea of the green man, which is another sort of pagan revival, came up. With was like thanking the trees themselves and like when you would sort of draw this or like make images of this practice you know like 
the tree with the face. They're like, who the fuck is this green man? But, you know, it, they, they would literally honor the trees themselves. Yeah, I love it. Love, love, love. So um, they would bring them things like honey and cider, which they would make from the apples, and mead, which they would make from the honey, which they would get a lot of the honey from the blossoms on the apple trees, which is just good for everyone. Um, you know, your pretty little squashes and gourds, you know, because there's a lot, a lot of gourds that you can't really eat, but they're good. They're useful. But um, all those little decorative autumn gourds. Um, oh, I love it. I, I do have a butternut squash vine growing, so maybe I'll have some of my own homegrown gourds along with my little like Jack and Jill uh, pumpkins. It's uh, gourd season. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gourd season, y'all. Uh, and so like thinking the land was a big part of it too. I do kind of like focus on the trees though. I mean, I think that's like, to me, just the imagery of that I do love. Because uh, you are the Lorax? Because <laughs> I am the Lorax. But <laughs> um, but but the, the, the thankfulness of it all is why some people refer to it as pagan Thanksgiving. And actually, here's a fun fact. Uh, Thanksgiving used to be celebrated in America in early October, which lines up with the English and Canadian versions, which places them a lot closer to the equinox and sort of shows off the genealogy of the holiday of Thanksgiving. And also like unfucks the holidays because it's like having Thanksgiving at the end of November is the worst for people that have to travel to see family. Right, because it's like, and then you travel again in three weeks. Yeah, it's, it's like, cool, you just <clears throat> got home, great, and two days you're going to return <laughs> for the next holiday. <laughs> right. Um, I think it's also important to acknowledge here that like remnants of Celtic culture existed on the other side of the English Channel, and that the German Oktoberfest is also sort of a direct descendant of the old Celtic equinox celebration so oktoberfest starts in the last week of september which if you're looking at your calendars is very close to when maybon is this year intent uh <laughs> y'all if you've never been to an oktoberfest go go do it's, not walk like it's <laughs> so fun it's real. it's really cool and it sort of takes the traditional feasting aspect of like the celtic wheel of the year holiday and it takes it to like a very decadent level with the addition of one of the harvest staples of the region, beer. Yeah, it's like if you leave an Oktoberfest and you don't kind of want to die because you're so full, you didn't Oktoberfest right. Beer and sausages. Just yum, <laughs> yum, yum, yum. All day yum, long. Yum, yum, yum. But uh, so circling back around to the feast, the traditional Equinox feasting items were naturally squashes apple based dishes um apple pie is a modern thing because pie used to be terrible and you would not eat the crust because of how they cooked it um so that's that's a whole different episode um but pumpkins roasted pumpkin seeds would have been like a pretty big deal for this holiday mm, pepitas delicious <laughs> uh, and and roasts of various kinds because you've spent the summer fattening up your livestock, uh, so this would absolutely be a time to uh, to roast a goose. 
because I mean, you know, it's like we're we're looking at old Celtic people. That's a fancy roast to them, you know. Like they were not uh, having beef, uh, uh, even if. I mean, I also feel like geese should mostly die if you've that's, ever met a goose. They're that's mean. True. Geese are mean. <laughs> I'm geese. very pro roasted goose. So roast a goose. Have an apple. <laughs> you know, have an have an apple pie. Um, you know, using using an apple as a candle holder would have been part of these celebrations, though. And that's something you can absolutely do. You could also make a pipe and imbibe in other things at your feast using an apple. You absolutely could do that. Hint, hint, weed witches. So, you know, making a little apple pipe. Uh, but another traditional craft that would have been done at this time would have been scarecrows. And so the idea here being, uh, just to make it like super seasonal, was because during the summer, the crows would have lots of uh, natural means of feeding. And around this time, sort of like the few remaining squashes and pumpkins that would be ripening on the vine or in dry storage already would be seeming a lot more appetizing to the crows who no longer have like berries and shit to eat out in the woods, right? Um, so in that spirit, I think like mini scarecrows for your yard would be a fun way to bring like a traditional twist to your Mabon celebration. Uh, LearnReligions.com, which is something I do use a lot for, especially for these like Sabbath episodes. Oh just, yeah. Just to Shout get, out. Just to get good base information. So if you guys are interested in doing research and like going down rabbit holes yourselves like definitely a cool website to check out but yeah, also if learnreligions.com would like to sponsor a podcast oh my god this would be this would be the one we do spend <laughs> right? a lot of time on there um but they had a fun maybon craft which i'm including here uh that would have actually fit right in with the traditional celtic equinox celebration and that's apple garlands and the only thing that's out of place here in time, if we're looking at like the traditional Celtic equinox celebrations, would be the cinnamon. But for these, um, you do dry apple rings alternated with bay leaves, which they would have used and had, and uh, little cinnamon sticks, which you do sort of break into pieces and do them sideways like beads, and you put them on a string. Simple as that. Oh my god, that's so cute. And it is, it's very cute. Um, That's way cuter than like a strand of popcorn. I've got to say, I I think so. Um, and also, it would look nice on your altar. And if that was all you were doing, also, it supposedly makes your room smell very nice. So whatever oh, room yeah, your your altar is in, you're getting like apple and cinnamon smell, and maybe just a hit of bay. But you know. Also, I just like love apple rings. Can we take just like a moment of appreciation for fucking dried apple rings because they are amazing. Oh yeah, yeah. The the original apple jacks. Yeah. Oh my god, so good. Anyway, sorry. Uh, I'm it's dinner time in Los Angeles, everyone. I apologize for all of the food detours. And I I, I think too that it would make a cute necklace. And I'm just going to go right out there and say it. Like maybe pepper in a few oak leaves. Or an acorn to be like the pendant. Oh, that is a mood I like. Uh, you know, wear random shit you find in your yard. That's that's sort of uh, a lesson you can take from the old Celtic <laughs> do you, people. 
<laughs> Whatever happened to your found objects necklace? I am so glad you remember that. And I feel like I gave it to a boy. But I I can't remember which boy. Boo. Okay, well, guys, sorry, but this was actually a very important detour because Nick used to have this, like, really cool necklace with, like, found objects on it. And, like, I cannot think of anything fucking witchier or more crow-like, but... No, because it was Very like witchy. it was I liked like, it. Like some of them were actual like little pendants and things. Yeah. And some of them were just like washers. I'd be like, shiny thing, can I put on necklace? <laughs> Cause Nick is a Corvid. Um <laughs> uh, anywho. So another speaking of acorns, another traditional Celtic equinox thing that you could do is that the druids, now keeping in mind that the druids were like a very sort of high class of like, they were like the scribes in ancient Sumeria because they were like the the keepers of the knowledge, but they didn't write anything down because heaven forbid we actually knew what the fuck they were up to. It's no fun if you do. It's no, I mean, you know, it's really cool that we have no idea what druids were doing. Yeah, I mean, every day I'm like, wow, hashtag blessed that the druids didn't let anyone know what was up. So, uh, but this is acorn season. And as we all know, the druids were really into oak trees and acorns. So uh, people did sometimes used to eat acorns. So if you're like one of those people who really does their research and is just really into recreating historical recipes... Um, this is like one I would not recommend trying at home, like mini QWP time. It actually takes a lot of work uh, to make acorns not so toxic to eat. And you are not a squirrel. Uh, but- <laughs> you are not a squirrel, but in some hipster places, you can find acorn flour. So if you got a boner for making something with acorns, you could always just source your own acorn flour instead of trying to like roast and grind and roast and grind for you know millennia yeah you're gonna be you're gonna be very busy if you try to forage (laughs) some acorns but you can put them on a necklace or make a very cool maybon wand with oak leaves and acorns you know think like rafiki's like shillelagh stick that he keeps hitting simba with you could make one of those and and bonk your children during the Maybon feast. What a fun... I mean, we could start a new tradition. Um, don't bonk your kids. Uh, we at Wands and Fronds do not advocate for any forms of child abuse. Yeah, particularly bonking. But, but it, yes, but any it, forms. But it would be funny if you threatened to bonk them. So we're not going to stop you from doing that. Yeah, I mean, mild threats, you know. Do what okay. you gotta do. But okay. But uh, so now we're going to do a bit of a jump because celebrating the end of harvest at the autumn equinox is not an original Celtic idea. And you certainly don't have to stay in one lane. We are witches after all, and we get to choose our own path for ourselves. So keeping in a similar time period, we can sort of look at Greece and Rome for some historical context for Maybon as well. Since these are both wine-producing parts of the world, their harvest festivals varied from the Celtic versions pretty significantly uh, with what 
they're celebrating the harvest of. So we're thinking feasting and merriment, yes, but it's focused more on grapes and wine and olives and dates and sort of much more Mediterranean things. Uh, so this would also be a traditional time to have a bacchanalia or initiate into the Dionysian mysteries. So something interesting for you Dionysus nerds out there. Uh, and the traditional crafting materials for altar offerings during these harvest festivals would be grapevines and the leaves themselves. So we're thinking grape leaf garlands. Uh, and if y'all remember our segment on foraging, I did encourage listeners in the appropriate growing range to seek out muscadine vines for fruit if they were super lucky or vine leaves if they were slightly less lucky. But even if you missed out on all of that, using the years spent vines themselves, keeping in mind that great vines regrow every year, uh, and those vines are no longer useful, uh, and it's okay to use them for crafts. Um, so using spent grapevines to weave a pentagram for your altar would be a great way to connect to another ancient equinox tradition, especially if you, like myself, are a Dionysus nerd. So something fun for you guys that are not so Celtic leading as Shannon and myself tend to be. Um, I also feel like this for the modern witches is definitely kind of your excuse to have wine out as an offering on your Mavon altar. Uh, and also sort of having a sound line of logic and tradition at your fingertips for your questioning witch friends as to why you have chosen to have a Bacchanalia instead of a traditional Mabon, if that is what you choose to do. Uh, but for this segment, which if you couldn't tell, uh, is is the history segment of Mabon, not the uh, magic to do on Mabon. That is a different flavor of segment. Um, I did want to go far as like as far back as I possibly could to find some kind of origin for Equinox celebrations that predate even the Celts, which led me down the history rabbit hole all the way to Mesopotamia. You guys. Uh, you went way back. Way back. So as is the way with these things, I was definitely surprised at like just how deep the rabbit hole actually got uh, when I ended up reading like page after page about Sumerian equinox festivals, which were happening basically at the dawn of civilization. So like literally just barely after people figured out farming and living in permanent houses, you have equinox celebrations. So yeah, I mean, it's like, we've always looked to the skies, which is very cool for us. Uh, it's like, as soon as we had a little free time, we were stargazing which is just neat. Humans uh, are fucking magical, man. Once in a while, I'm proud of humans. <laughs> and here I am, because it's awesome that equinoxes have been celebrated for so goddamn long. I wouldn't have thought about it that way. So, to give you guys some reference for how immensely long ago that was, Stonehenge, which is famous partially for how old it is and predating the pyramids, was built around 3000 BC, you guys. 
So if you're doing the math, that is about 5,000 years ago. That is 50 centuries ago. So the pyramids are also famous for being ancient, but slightly less ancient than Stonehenge, famously. Uh, So it is indeed surprising that the Sumerians were celebrating the autumn equinox as early as 5,000 BC. So if you are doing the math, that is 70 centuries ago. That just like literally blows my mind to try like trying to wrap your head around that length of time uh-huh oh that's a long so time cool. that is a long time and i thought it would be fun to sort of take a look at what one of the very first equinox celebrations might have looked like and also sort of commentate on the fact that the equinoxes could very well be the longest running holiday that has been continuously celebrated in some form or another in all of human history. And uh, that is really wow. cool to think about. I feel like it it puts so much more magic behind the holiday. It does. And I think it's just really cool to see that unbroken thread and realize that what we do as witches is literally pulling the other end of that thread into the future from such a long, long, long time ago. God, that's so fucking cool. So, something to keep in mind here is that ancient Mesopotamia was built in a salty bog surrounded by the desert. And it I is- I am a salty bog. I, I am, love that. I am also <laughs> a salty bog. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I love the idea of a salty bog. Well, uh, okay, the salty bog is important, though, because the salty bog might have been why we ended up with civilization anyway, because the only way to make that particular land livable was to to have this, like, cooperative society and where people would pitch in for things like public works, which would have been the uh, Mesopotamian canals. Mesopotamia was famous for building these canals that drained the, the salty bog and separated it into canals, and which are what are now squares of arable farmland. So which all of this cooperation and people getting specialized jobs created bureaucracy, which had to have a sort of a central location and markets which also needed a central location which led to kings which needed a central location uh, which led to cities which is wow. the basis of uh what we think of as civilization so the salty All thanks to a salty bog because because i mean if you think about it if you lived in a place where um resources were more plentiful you didn't have to learn how to farm. You just went around picking berries and shit and uh, living in a cave. And you didn't, you didn't really have to question it because you were well-fed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you have everything you need, you're not too worried about anything. But my question to you, Nick, and this is very important, do you think that Salty Bog was the first, like, unappreciated Virgo in history? I, I think so. <laughs> I, I I certainly think so. 
because they think they think the moon they think the moon for giving them culture but it was actually the salty bog all along so the salty bog doing all of the fucking work in this group project and getting no credit right and then they're like <laughs> thank you the oh my moon. god moon sun you too meanwhile salty bog is just like you're fucking kidding me but so Mesopotamia was built in a salty bog, and it was surrounded by the desert, even back then. You know, an ice age has come and gone since then, but even back then, uh, it was very hot. It was very hot in the Middle East. Uh, It still is. Um, So, very similar. I just love that you you wanted to remind us that it is still hot in the Middle East. It is. It still is. (laughs) Uh, So, the Sumerians who lived there had their harvest festival and new year at the spring equinox. Uh, And the fall equinox marked the end of summer for them. Uh, So this was sort of their equivalent thing that they had to live through, though, was the summer, because they didn't really, they were very low-lying down by the sea. They did not have a harsh winter. But they had to live through the harsh summer because it was so hot you couldn't grow things in the summer. You would have early summer crops like, cucumbers and things that are like very early summer and then just nothing dusty dryness heat yeah i mean we're honestly getting with climate change to where more and more places are going to be like that so we're going to have to be figuring out what the fuck the sumerians were up to i you know i i'm kind of feeling that as well but but so this was like their equivalent thing that they had to live through so so their autumn equinox celebration had kind of more of the flavor of Ostara. So it was all about like planting your seeds, uh, getting back to business after spending the summer eating off of their reserves and drinking beer, which Mesopotamians loved beer. And because they preserved all of their stuff so meticulously in clay clay tablets in cuneiform writing, we have beer recipes from them and menus with prices from like literally pubs that were existing at the dawn of time. So good. for And yet the Druids still wrote fucking nothing down. They still wrote nothing down. The, the Druids who had not even been thought of uh, for thousands of years at this, or thousands of years before the Druids were even a gleam in, in the father's eye. these people are writing recipes and and leaving uh, Yelp reviews for each other. Like literally, <laughs> I love what, it. Yeah, it's so fun to like read the weird shit that they have. Like one of the oldest recorded things ever is a complaint. Speaking of Virgos, because now that you got me thinking about it, it's like Mesopotamia really had some Virgo energy. The oldest piece of writing ever recorded and you can look this up is a complaint about the quality of a copper shipment oh my god so that must be my soul's first incarnation uh which is very <laughs> which is very funny uh and and very mean um and yeah so it, it's basically the first thing ever written was a yelp review i just love that you say it's mean but my first instinct is man that must have been a fucked up copper shipment if someone felt the need to write it down so i'm like these are definitely different perspectives <laughs> um but no so for these sumerians 70 centuries ago it was like getting back to work time uh and 
especially important during this time would have been the story of the goddess Inanna, who was the goddess of the moon. Uh, so she's sort of this life-bringing goddess who is also like a precursor and an eventual like combo goddess of Ishtar. Uh, once the Sumerian culture sort of becomes the Assyrian culture, uh, you can kind of follow it all the way down. Uh, but she, in what is seen as some as the basis of the Persephone myth, is trapped in the underworld after being accidentally killed by her sister. And gosh, isn't that just classic sisters? Uh, oh my God. You know, if I had a dollar. <laughs> uh, so she's accidentally killed by her sister who makes a deal with the gods of the underworld that her sister might return for at least part of the year from the underworld if she takes her place during that time, which is not like a classic sister at all. Uh, <laughs> no. And- She'd be like, you're fucked. <laughs> and so while the, the this tale of Inanna is originally based on the uh, movements of the planet Venus and how it disappears for about seven days before going retrograde and then showing up in the evening for a while instead of the morning. Uh, the broader theme of the story was that while Inanna was spending her time in the underworld, the land was inhospitable, and when she came back, the land could be fertile and the weather would be temperate again. So it's kind of seen as Inanna's return. Mm, the death and rebirth thing. You'll see a very similar theme in the Mabon deity story too in a bit. So instead of seeing like the themes of Thanksgiving uh, that we would see in like the later European style version of the autumn equinox, the, uh, the Mesopotamian version would have very much focused on preparing for the sowing season Inanna's return, we're getting the land ready, we're we're shoring up our canals, uh, but they very much still appreciated that perfect balance between night and day that the equinox brings. And this is very much a time to ask for good things from your growing season and also to like refine your professional self after a hot, lazy, apparently beer drunk summer, which sounds like a good time to me, except for the fact everyone had to sleep on their roof because oh, it was God. so hot. I was like, it sounds about 2010 until you get to that point. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but I think that even though many of us modern pagans do not live in the former Mesopotamia, Lots of us do live in places where it is nowhere near full-blown harvest season yet. Myself and Shannon definitely included here. And I personally think it's like looking at the original autumn equinox celebrations is a reminder that these Sabbaths are meant to be seasonal to you and the nature around you and sort of your personal surroundings and even sort of where you're at in life. So like, if you live in a warmer place or you're not really in a harvest season in your personal life, like you can maybe take a page out of the Sumerian book and look at the equinox as a sowing season instead of a harvest season. And I promise that we will not get mad at you. 
And uh, that is the history, as far as I can tell it, about Mabon and the Fall Equinox. Nick, you killed it. Love it. Thank you. I do have to point out that this is the last of the Sabbaths. So we are going to be covering the Sabbaths again, like in the next year in sort of a different light. But Nick, this is the this is the close of the wheel of the year because we started on Samhain last year. Right. So this is kind of an important episode for us. It's like... Uh, uh, I'm getting emotional. We, we made it. We made it through one whole wheel of the year, you guys. So if y'all have been here since the beginning... Con- congratulations to you. <laughs> congratulations to you. We love you. Okay, well, we're going to take a little Maybon break. Um, I'm going to cover the deity in a minute, but first I wanted to talk about Rue. So uh, Rue is- McClanahan from Golden Girls? <laughs> no, Rue Paul. Um, <laughs> so Rue is a really cool little garden herb that's actually fallen out of favor throughout the past few decades, but there are some really great uses for it, both like magically and medicinally. And I think it's worth growing if you have this space. I mean, in particular, um, so Rue is a, a hardy perennial with yellow blossoms, blue, green, like fern-like leaves, but it's native to Southern Europe, Northern Africa, and well, now it runs around the U.S. since it does escape gardens from time to time. But in these areas where it's native to, rue actually was like a pretty common cooking ingredient too. And a lot of people think part of the reason that that's kind of fallen out of flavor is that it seems like as humans progress, we get uh, more and more of a an aversion to bitter flavors. So people used to like add more bitter things to their food and we don't do that as much anymore. So rue's really cool. Um, you're probably not going to be cooking with it though. So this although, really awesome- Although I will say, I was talking to someone I worked with recently. They were talking about the balances they wanted in a particular recipe. And I was like, oh, what about bitterness? And they were like, oh, fuck that. And I was like, really though, I like a bit of bitterness. It's like same. It's yeah. like when it's like when you char a poblano to make the flavor milder. Yes, you do rub the charred part off, but you do get a little bit of bitterness from the charring, just a little yeah. bit. And it yeah, it's nice. Bitterness is nice. I enjoy it too. I just think that most people unfortunately don't. I mean, it's like I drink skullcap tea often and skullcap is like pretty bitter, but rue can be really good. Uh, the thing that it used to be really common in is like, like pasta dishes and things like that. So, you know, maybe if you're into that. Um, but yeah, so this plant, it's semi woody and it can reach up to three feet tall. And it's also a really good herb for the garden if you have problems with deer because rue can be like a deer deterrent allegedly it can also deter japanese beetles although i don't know that i have enough rue in my like garden bed to really confirm or deny that because i definitely still have japanese beetles around but you know who knows maybe as the rue gets bigger um i also do have to say like i think the foliage is really beautiful like the little yellow blossoms are cute but the leaves are really really pretty so i think it could be a good like decorative addition to your garden as well like it's not one that you have to like hide in a corner i think it's i think it's pretty so rue does best in well-draining soil and full sun and it can even grow in like rocky bs like soil that nothing else will live in you know that like weird corner of your yard that like seems to kill everything rue can hang 
Um, so it is a super hardy plant, obviously, and it's very drought tolerant too. So it's really important that you don't drown this one. But again, if you're someone that lives in an area that gets a lot of droughts, like I do here in Southern California, um, you know, rue could be a really great addition to like an herb garden and kind of like a zeriscape type situation. Uh, so the other good thing about rue is it's not a heavy feeder. So, you know, at the beginning of like the like early spring, right as like new growth is emerging, you can like apply either like an all purpose like fertilizer or, you know, compost. But other than that, like, you know, maybe do like the one feeding in the spring, but you really don't need to be fertilizing it a lot either. So it is really like super low maintenance, which I think is always a bonus. The seeds of the plant are really small. So if you're going to plant by seed and you're like going to go that route to grow it, you're basically going to like pick your location or the container, rake the surface of it smooth, scatter the seeds across the top, and then gently push them in, like just kind of like press them a little bit. When you're planting seeds, like a good rule of thumb, unless it specifies that it needs light for germination, is that you only want to plant seeds as deep as the seed is like wide. So with like really tiny things like rue and poppy, you're really just kind of like lightly pressing them into the soil because they're so small. So in about 28 days, you'll have little seedlings. So to water your seedlings throughout this time, though, in particular, just because it's such a small seed, I wanted to just like cover how to do that. Get get a mister or like a spray bottle because I've seen it happen where people will plant seeds and then they'll like water it with like a watering can or something. And it's like, no, they're so you're just going to wash them all away or like move them around. So, you know, get a, get a little like spray bottle, just like mist them. And then once they start coming up, then you can like get back into your regular watering, you know, your regular watering schedule. But like, don't like wash away all of your new seeds. Yeah, yeah, you you gotta you gotta let them get their footing. Yeah, yeah, they need to like they need to put some roots down, literally. So when these seedlings get to be about four inches tall, then you are gonna want to like thin them out. You're really only gonna have space if you want them to be healthy um, to have one plant every like foot and a half to two feet. So you know, just thin them out. It's always a bummer, but that's why it's like make friends with your neighbor and give them maybe the plants that you can't keep. So when, um, throughout the growing season, you'll sometimes see that like a branch will wilt or like maybe it'll turn yellow. Whenever you see any of that happening, you're just going to prune that section of the plant. And then in the fall, you can cover them with mulch to protect them from freezing temps. But like in California, I don't tend to do this because we have no winter. But then the following spring, you'll want to like cut the branches back to encourage new growth. And like, there you have it. Like it'll come back year after year. You know, you just prune it throughout the season. Um, I, I found like starts at my nursery of rue and you can totally grow that, go that route as well. Just like still follow the spacing guidelines because they can get quite big. Um, but if you want to harvest it, you need to be careful. Uh, maybe like a gardening glove situation because this plant produces a sap that can cause rashes for some people. So just be warned. Um, so this really cool plant that used to be in food all the time, but isn't anymore. What on earth can you use it for medicinally? Um, let me remind you all that I am still not a doctor. I'm just your friendly neighborhood Greenwich herbalist. So as far as like the herbalism terms, um, rue is considered a stimulant. It's antispasmodic. It's carminative. It's an amenagogue, and you can use it as a tonic. So it's really renowned for like its bitter principles. And so people that 
you know, are studying herbalism or like learning about the way herbs work with your body, bitters are really good for helping digestion. Because one of the things that bitters do, like, as soon as you like put them in your mouth is they make you start salivating, right? And when you start the process of like salivation, that's actually like the beginning of your entire digestive process. And so it's like bitters are really, really great for your digestive health. Um, Root also has heart-friendly flavonoids, including um, quercetin and rutin, as well as cumarinus, cumarins. Sorry, guys, I don't know how to pronounce flavonoids. Um, I already mentioned that it's an amenagogue, but I did really want to like drive that home. So amenagogue, it can help bring on bleeding um, for people that have uteruses. And it is like also an abortifacient. So if you are like someone who is pregnant or wants to become pregnant, be very careful. If you live in places where abortion is getting more and more difficult to come by, there are really great herbalism resources online. Um, Always be safe, be careful. But unfortunately, I feel like in the current climate, that is something that I want people to know exists. I I I, uh, I just want to say I love the subtlety there. <laughs> you know, I'm so subtle with my very strong feelings about abortion access. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Rue has also, in some instances, been used in like very low doses to help increase peripheral circulation and lower elevated blood pressure. And when I'm talking about peripheral circulation, this is something you can see, like for example, in people with diabetes that deal with like, you know, the neuropathies of like their hands and their feet, um, things that are helping increase peripheral circulation can help with things like that. Um, and of course, like, you know, why you would want to lower your blood pressure. Um, Rue can also be added to bitter cordials that are, um, put together to like rid the body of parasitic worms and bacteria, both topically and in the digestive tract. And this was just something that I thought was really interesting. I don't know how many of you guys are worried about um, parasitic worms, but uh, Rue has like historically and can still be used to treat that. Um, Again, if you're looking at like a topical use here, I do want to remind you that some people are very sensitive. So like be cautious, do like a patch test, it, you know, nobody wants a bad rue rash. Um, there is also a lot of history of people using rue as an eye wash to strengthen the eyes. And allegedly Da Vinci actually used eye washes of rue to improve his eyesight. Um, so yeah, so there's lots of different uses for it. It's also really pretty, but we also want to talk about magic. Yeah. So rue is a masculine plant associated with the planet Mars and the fire element, which I I think is really interesting considering how stinging and irritating the sap is. I love when like the magical alignments like tend to go with like the herbalism type categories they're in. Um, The plant is associated with Diana and Aradia and it's used in magic focused on healing, health, mental powers, exorcism and love. I just always love when exorcism is included. Uh, Not that I'm ever performing exorcism. I'm not a priest and I've seen a horror movie, but... (laughs) I mean, aren't we all kind of priests in a horror movie? (laughs) Right. Um, So some ideas of how to use it, you could like add dried rue to incense blends or poppets if you're doing healing magic. You guys know I do have to say, if you're doing a sleep sachet, to like help protect your health, you know, some dried rue. Um, I also think that like doing an incense blend with it with something with like rosemary 
could be really cool, like to smoke cleanse your home with like during cold and flu season or, you know, a global pandemic. So basically Um, what you're saying is I need like a bowl of rue burning in my room right now. Yeah. At all times. Uh, but I love the idea of blending it with something like rosemary because, you know, rosemary is um, so like antibacterial and antiviral. And they actually used to burn rosemary and brassiers on like old churches or not old churches, old hospitals. Um, so I, I think the combo of rue and rosemary for like a health incense would be really fun. Uh, rue hung over the door is said to offer protection. If you're one of those people that is super worried about the evil eye because there is a lot of... Um, evil eye swag the romans ate rue as a preservative like against the evil eye to protect themselves they also carried it to guard the bearer from poison werewolves and general shit that you don't want around you so you know the romans were really into using rue for protection if you're someone who works with like any sort of like water for cleansing or like liquid for cleansing, you can actually use a sprig of rue to like distribute it. So like dip the rue into the water and then like shake it around like a little sprinkler. And that way you can infuse some of like rue's magical properties into whatever your like cleansing potion is. But my favorite piece of magical lore is that rue grows best when it's stolen. So get out there, witchy thieves. This one's for you. So you have to steal your rue. <laughs> Only if you want it to grow best. Um, so I used uh, UFCs.com, an herbalist guide to formulary by Holly Bellabuono and our dear friend Scott Cunningham. And that's rue. So in the spirit of the holiday, we thought, of course, it made sense to like cover the deity who the Sabbath is named after, Mabon. Um, but I'm actually going to start with like a mini QWP here and the actual like naming of the holiday. So sometime in the 1970s, like early 1970s, Aidan Kelly named the autumn equinox Mabon. And he has since admitted that when he was working on the wheel of the year around that time, he's the one who like chose the name Mabon, right? Like there was not actual historical evidence tied to this. Um, This is the same guy who like assigned Lyva to Midsummer, but he had a tough time like figuring out what to call quote unquote, the autumn equinox. So enter stage left, a book about Stonehenge. So there's this smaller circle at Stonehenge that actually aligns with the autumn equinox. So he took inspiration from that and then like compared it to things like the stories of Demeter and decided that Mabon could have been the myth associated with the date. So it's not like certain or historical, but he didn't totally pull it out of his ass. You know, like a lot of people are totally chill with this name. I mean, myself included, honestly, but there's a small but vocal group of people who are not feeling this. So feel free to make your own decision, babes. But onward. Who is Mabon? So Mabon is a Welsh god, like I previously mentioned, and he's sometimes called the Welsh sun god. Interestingly enough, he's actually not like a super big character in literature. And the main story we have about him is in the epic tale of uh, Kilchen Alwyn, which is part of the Mabinogion. Um, The oldest written version we have dates all the way back to 1325 CE and literary scholars date its original writing to sometime in the 11th century. So like really fucking old, but Nick still has me. It's not Sumerian old. Anyway, like most sun gods, he's like a badass hunter and represents youth and vitality and like sex. Uh, His mother, Madron, is often associated with the maternal aspect of the triple goddess. And since his name, Mabon Ap Madron, literally means son, child of mother, and there's no father Mm. mentioned. So he's only got a mom, right? Eh, kind of getting some, like, Jesus vibes, right? So, 
At a youthful three days old, Maybon is kidnapped. Oh no! Meanwhile, Kilk needs Maybon's help for a series of tasks that he has to complete to win his like dream bride. That's how we end up getting uh, into this epic story here. So King Arthur and his cousin, the previously mentioned Welsh hero, Kilk, search for Maybon, and they finally discover him and rescue him from this like castle in Gloucester, um, thanks to the help of a magic salmon. By the time they released him from his enchanted imprisonment, Maybon was somehow both the eldest of all living creatures and also like very youthful. Um, He's a paradox, right? Like simultaneously the youngest and the oldest of souls. So from the height of the autumn equinox, the sun's strength diminishes as nights get longer and days become shorter. And this, I think, is like where that parallel comes in, right? To like Maybon being stolen away as a baby, also looking at like Demeter and Persephone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really short backstory, but it's cool because like, based on what we know, you can kind of look at Maybon as like a Merlin type figure, right? Like he's the oldest of men and beasts, the son of the mother and a hero, which I think means you can work with him in a lot of different contexts. So of course it's like obvious to honor him on Maybon and like anything that represents hunting, like arrows or like deer sheds, I think are good choices. I'd also say anything typically used to honor the sun. So like in the fall, you could look at colors, things like orange and yellow to honor him. Citrine is also like a crystal choice that kind of like jumped into my mind at this point. Um, And yeah, that like, that really sums it up. Like it's short and sweet, but it really is like kind of a really brief tale. Um, So my sources were stormandfortune.com, occult-world.com, patheos.com, thedragonskeep.net. And I specifically want to shout out Sarita Dusty's work on Maybon Research. Um, She wrote an article on Patheos that I use, but has also like co-written some books um, about like, uh, uh, that include like information about Maybon and the Welsh deities. So there you have it, folks. I did do the taroscope this week, you guys. And it's kind of a heavy one. Like I hate, I hate to like end such a fun Sabbath themed episode on like such a wah wah note. Okay, so like here we go. Really raining on the parade. Really raining on the parade. But okay, so I drew the King of Cups reversed for the Pisces babies among us. And so you guys, this card is telling me a few things. The first of which is that you might feel like you literally have 99 problems right now. Uh, but you haven't exactly been putting in the work to figure out what the root cause of those problems are. And this is kind of one of those situations where, like, unfortunately for you guys, the only way out is straight on through. So, like, the good news is, is that I think you're totally capable of dealing with these issues but you're definitely overdue for like a deep dive into what is making your life go haywire right now. So like read a self-help book, do some journaling. Um, Like you're a Pisces. So analyze your dreams. Maybe there's an answer there. Um, Just like start somewhere and try to do something productive to get to the bottom of the chaos in your life. Uh, So Sometimes these readings are like tough love, and this is definitely one of those situations. So basically, you guys, your cup is not running over, uh, and you are the only one who can fix it. So, And this could be a pretty deep-rooted issue. 
So save your strength at this time as you may end up needing it. Uh, so whew. good luck. I love that. Good luck, you guys. I also guys. feel like with, with all the stories we were just talking about with like Mabon and Persephone and like the way the Sumerians saw this with like Venus, this is kind of a good time of year though, I think, to like do the type of work that it seems like they might need to. Like sometimes you have to go away. Yeah, sometimes you got to like dive into the depths for a bit and, you know, withdraw from all of the sunshine and parties to get your shit together and then come back reborn mm-hmm. better than ever. Better than ever. <laughs> all right. Well, that brings us to the bitter end. Um, LearnReligions.com. If you want to sponsor the podcast, you can reach out to us <laughs> at wandsandfronspod at gmail.com. Uh, we'll also definitely get back to you through Instagram at wandsandfronspod. Uh, also, you know, any of our amazing listeners can reach out to us there as well. Um, download the episode, rate, review, subscribe, share with a friend, or just send us some general good vibes. I think all of those things are very appreciated. Also, I think this week, I want to see pictures of y'all's cats. Oh my god, yes please. Or just pets in general if you don't have cats. Pets in general if you don't have cats. That was a lazy assumption of me to assume that most of our listeners would have cats. (laughs) I mean, honestly, like, probably. But, you know, know, specific shout out, really cool lizards. If you have a really cool (gasps) lizard, I do not want to see a lame lizard. Really cool lizards only. Only cool lizards need apply. Uh, No, I love that. Yes. Like send us pictures of your pets. I love this. Nick and I have definitely posted pictures, I think, of all of our pets on, on our socials. So you guys owe us pictures of your cuties. Yeah. And uh, also, I just, you know, I want to see them. So uh, with with that being said, uh, what do we say to all of the Maybon bitches? All of you Maybon ladies, blessed be bitches. Bye now. (laughs) Goodbye. We, We regret to inform you that you might be a Virgo.